15 minutes of shame. The segment came about because of uh, current events and what's happening in, in the world today. And Alan and I take an interest in what's going on, and we really care. And the mainstream media is not covering things that you're going to hear today. So make your own opinion. Uh, understand that the mind is like a parachute, it can only work if it's open. So, Alan, what do you got? Well, I mean, well first of all, you know, um, we had a bad storm here last week. Um, last Wednesday after the show, and um, it was like Hurricane Ida, and it wiped out a lot of towns in New Jersey, um, Manville, Dunellen, Boundbrook, a lot of areas in New Jersey, not just those areas, but a, a lot of areas in New Jersey got completely underwater. Um, the rivers overflowed big time. The streets couldn't hold it. Um, a lot of people had a lot of damage in their basement or lost their homes completely. And actually, I know somebody did actually. And luckily they got out with your children. And uh, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, or Joey boy as I call him, backwards buffoon Biden, uh, came to New Jersey yesterday and he actually got the royal treatment. There were signs being held up by people, fuck Biden, you screwed up Afghanistan, um, you're a piece of garbage, uh, you need to be impeached. You're a killer, you're a tyrant, you have no idea what you're doing. And this was, he was in Louisiana. Uh, that was in Louisiana also. It was, he was in uh, from the, the hurricane last week and they turned their back on him when he came. Now here are people in New Jersey who have their houses destroyed by the floods and they don't want him even there because they know, unfortunately, that he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Um, he doesn't really know what day it is. <laughs> any of his press conferences, he can't answer any questions because he's reading off a teleprompter. So those questions are, you know, whatever he's talking about is already out in front of him. And he doesn't want, anybody, he doesn't want to answer any questions because he doesn't know the answers to the questions. Okay. I believe he might be dumber than some of Jeff Dunham's uh, dummies. Dummies. <laughs> dummies. Matter of fact, some of his dummies are smarter than him. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we won't go there. He so, just so, so I did. So, um, and this... Um, Segment is also important to me because it's the anniversary almost in a couple of days of 9-11. And unfortunately, uh, it, it's a strange day for me. Um, my dad passed away on that day at three o'clock in the morning. However, by him dying, it actually uh, saved my best friend's life. And I'm gonna tell that story now. And it's a very touching story and I tell a lot and I'm very proud of it. Um, my dad was very close to my best friend and my best friend is a very religious uh, Jewish man who goes to synagogue in the morning and at night. And he went to pray like he normally does in the morning around somewhere at 7.30, 7 o'clock. I don't really know when he goes exactly. Um, and one of the gentlemen at the synagogue said to him, I know you're going to New York. Uh, my wife has my car today. Could you take, take me to the train station? Um, and my friend said, you know, I'm staying a little extra. I want, to, I want to say a prayer for my uncle who was in the hospital. He was very, my dad was in the hospital for about four days. And he was, they didn't know when he was going to go, if he was going to live. Who, they, they didn't know what the hell was going on with him, really, for four days. And um, we didn't call anybody. He died at 3 o'clock in the morning. We weren't calling anybody until about 10 and tell people that, you know, that uh, he died. And um, by staying an extra couple of minutes, 
he was the first train not to go in from uh, Edison, New Jersey into New York. And he actually worked in Tower One and he probably would have been dead if he hadn't stayed. Now this story gets better because his wife was teaching in a school that his daughter at the time was about 13 maybe. I don't even know, she might have been a little older, I don't even know how old she was at the time. 14 maybe, I don't know, 15, I don't even, I don't even really know how old she was at the time. Um, but they announced over to PA that she used to come to the office, to her mother's office, who was, she was like a counselor or something. And she walked down the hall crying, thinking that her father, she had heard what happened, and she thought her father was dead. Um, she was upset, but it was my father who was almost like an uncle to her, but slight difference hearing about your uncle and your father dying. It's two different things. And she was upset about it. She wrote, she wrote a very a very pretty story about it, which really touched me. And it's funny because I really wasn't that close with her before that. It changed my opinion of her as a human being because she wrote a story about my dad. and very about compassionate. Uh, yeah, it just touched me. And, and uh, my, my thoughts of... It's funny because we never got along, her and I. He even said, you know, she didn't really like you. You really didn't like her. And now we're pretty much uh, like buddies now. And that, that story has kind of changed both of us, how we look at each other. You know, it's like when somebody dies, a funeral, it brings people together and uh, who might not have been together for years. And all right. of a sudden they're forced because of this tragic event to be able to. And it's it. funny because I'm closer with his other kids. I was never close with her. She was very annoying to me. She was young. She didn't like me. I didn't like her. And uh, now we're kind of like uh, best buddies now. And that story 20 years ago brought us together. And that's uh, like changed my opinion of her. And um, she's also grown up now a little more. And she's got two little girls of her own. And she's a little mature than she was at that point, too. So. Well, you know, getting back to this uh, event, I'll call it 9 yeah. 11. Uh, in my mind, I've always believed it was a false flag event. Um, two buildings don't come down in a free fall in 10 seconds, it's impossible. You know, uh, the, the buildings were imploded every two floors. The joists, you could actually see the floors coming down like the domino effect. It defies logic how the, the ground would burn hotter, uh, like radiation uh, on the ground. And people who were there couldn't stay on the grounds for the cleanup because their shoes would melt. It was that right. hot. You could have steel boots. It didn't matter. So this is some of the sad things that happened. And I believe 3,000 people were sacrificed in that. And now they're, make, they're paying people to go into the 9-11 Museum, and they should be in jail for, for what I believe that they did. And uh, if you don't have any more with, with that story, I want to go into my 15 minutes of yeah, shame. You go into your 15 minutes of shame. Yeah, uh, some of you might know who I am as an investigator researching things, but it all started back around 9-11, which I didn't buy into the story. September 12th, the Bergen Record posted a story about... Five guys, Israelis, as a matter of fact, they were from Urban Moving Company who got caught with explosives. This is right after the World Traders sentence went down. There were guys on the roof filming the event before it even happened, so they had full warning. But these other guys were caught with explosive maps over $5,000 in their pockets. And when they were caught, uh, they were held because they were going to blow up the uh, Lincoln, the Holland, and the George Washington Bridge. Luckily, they were picked up held for about 45 days for immigration violations. You didn't hear about it after that. And uh, Michael Chertoff, who was head of Homeland Security, got these guys off, sent back to Israel, because they didn't finish the job. And the job was to take down all the bridges. So here we are coming up on 20th anniversary, and I'm putting it out there. 
Check the facts. Bergman Records, September 12th. Paolo Lima wrote the story. I wonder if Pablo's still alive. I know he doesn't work for the newspaper, but uh, people, the state troopers, uh, Detective Robeson, I called him up years ago, and he told me, yeah, they, they were held for 45 days, and this is true on there. But the thing that, that bothers me, which I'll be talking about now, is Barack Obama's involvement. I'm here to tell you that the man... Now, that's that's the, the sound here. That that sound, that beep there, is Barack Obama's sound. The next sound you'll hear for him, he'll hear, would be in prison. And he should be in prison because George Herbert Walker Bush created the boogeyman, which was the lie to get the drugs going through Indochina, through Vietnam, through Thailand, to be processed there, use the bank, send it to Germany, and put it into Pfizer's chemicals. And all the pills that you get are laced with uh, opium, and, and why people don't get hooked on the drugs, they get hooked on what's the byproduct of them. And these companies can't be sued because they're in Germany and they're, they're out of the reach of the U.S. courts, whatever. So here Barack Obama's role in all this was to be the boogeyman. And to think, they get a guy, doesn't have birth certificates, prove they didn't have a birth certificate, prove they have more money than people could believe. He was already a billionaire before he even became a congressman. Where does he get the money? Well, he's the son of Bumbo Duya Day of Thailand. But what George Bush did was he made sure that, that Obama would rise to become president, and in the process of that, they'd steal the lights out of the American people's money and fool the crap out of them with Barack Obama posing as Osama bin Laden. So I put my hands up. My palm prints are the same. I've analyzed it, and you can't have the same palm prints. You and I can ha have the same palm prints. The odds are 64 billion to one. So, like you said, can you can prove you're not here. Well, if I can show you that the hands match up and it's the odds are astronomical against two people having that, then it has to be what I'm saying. But that's one of the things that I learned early on. I became a person of interest because of that. Now, Barack Obama, not only is he the prince of Thailand, he's a deviant, a sexual deviant. And let me tell you a story about a man. I want to give respect to Larry Sinclair. Larry, and the story begins with Barack Obama meeting Larry Sinclair in 1999. This is before he ran for anything. Subsequently, these guys were hanging out, and Larry Sinclair asked Obama to get him some cocaine. So they got some cocaine. They, they smoked it, whatever they did with it. And uh, while in the cab, Larry Sinclair gives Barack Obama consensual head. He's blowing him in the, in, in the vehicle. Motorhead. Motorhead, right? So while driving. this is going on, He's smoking crack, right? He's getting his blowjob, right? And Larry Sinclair's okay with that, right? This is November 6th of 1999. On the following day, Barack Obama goes to Larry Sinclair's hotel because he wants seconds on it. So he goes to Larry Sinclair's hotel, and Larry gives him a head again. Sloppy seconds. Sloppy seconds. Now, Larry was infatuated with Barack Obama. So when Barack Obama was running for... The, the Iowa caucuses, Larry Sinclair was having a, uh, a press conference, right? And in the press conference, he was divulging Obama's gay, gayness and uh, use of cocaine and also the affair that Barack had uh, that ended on December 23rd, 2007 with the murder of Barack Obama's former lover and choir director, his name was Donald Young, just days before the 2008 Iowa caucus, because this way, no one would know about, you know, Obama's gay uh, escapades. Now, 
Not to be confused with ice capades. Right. So now here it is. Barack Obama is killing people all because this story is going to get out. And uh, the CIA has got a big problem now because he's a deviant and his sexual problems are causing them to have to bury a lot of people in the process. So one of uh, Barack Obama's lovers, the choir directors first, and there was two other people in the parish whose names I don't have here that I'll bring out later on in another, in another weeks to come. But Larry comes forward, and he's now on this show, and it's the uh, National Press Club News Conference. And here he is. He's trying to out Barack Obama for his gayness and for the murders. And so what do they do? They get Joe Biden's son, Delaware Attorney General Bo Biden, to issue an arrest warrant for Larry Sinclair on completely false charges to attempt to discredit Mr. Sinclair. So what happens is they arrest Larry Sinclair and they hold him in jail long after the Iowa caucus, after they hold him after the Democratic convention just to keep it out of the newspapers so Barack Obama could run. Now, not long after that all happened, Larry Sinclair tried to, you know, come out more and talk about it when he when he was finally let out of jail and mysteriously He's run over by a car, hit and run accident, but they don't know who hit him or whatever. But I can tell you, when the fish stinks, it stinks from the head on down. So Barack Obama has a lot to fess up for because you've seen TV shows say it. You can't get away with murder. So my time this day, 15 Minutes of Shame, is to show you just what kind of a man that we're dealing with that'll do anything to discredit Anyone who comes forward to say anything about him. So I'm saying it right here. Barack, you need more help than God can give you. And uh, being we're in a Jewish high, high holy day, maybe we can get the rabbi to pray for you. Because yeah. you need you need some help. Can he pray for Hillary Rotten Clinton too? Yeah. Because she anything, anybody who knows her gets killed too. So You know, and Bo Biden, to finish up with Bo, right? Son of President Joe Biden. He was the Delaware Attorney General from 2006 on until he died. And uh, he made sure that Larry Sinclair didn't get his story told. And poor Larry, because of wanting some cocaine in a gay relationship with crazy-ass Barack Insane Obama, which name is bullshit to begin with. Osama Obama. Osama Obama is what I'm sticking with. So I am... Alan was saying a $19 million man, but originally I was a $25 million but man. But Lee Majors has $6 million a year of money. So. Right. So now I got to go after Lee because he has money from the USFL. He was part owner of the USFL. And uh, so I know he's got some... $6 million some, man. Yeah, he's got money. So at least, you know, I, I maybe I can recoup some of my money. Or maybe Barack Obama, you may want to pay me because I'm not going to stop until you're in J-A-I. So that's what I have to say here on 15 Minutes of Shame. Oh
Calvary. 